The gospel for this day comes from Mark chapter 2. One Sabbath day, Jesus took a walk through the grain fields, and the disciples began to pick ears of grain as they went along. The Pharisees said to Jesus, Look, why are they doing something on the Sabbath day that is forbidden? And Jesus replied, Did you never read what David did in his time of need when he and his followers were hungry? How David went into the house of God when Abiathar was high priest and ate the loaves of offering, which only the priests are allowed to eat, and how he also gave some to those with him. Then Jesus said to them, The Sabbath was made for people, not people for the Sabbath. That is why the chosen one is ruler even of the Sabbath. This is the gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Dear friends in Christ, grace and peace to you from God, our Creator, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. I wanted to talk today about rest. That's why we chose the gospel story that we did, that we just heard, even though it's a little different from the assigned reading for the seventh Sunday of Easter. I wanted to make the connection that that Easter is a whole season in the church, seven Sundays. And it's meant to call our hearts and minds back to the seven days of creation. That in Jesus' resurrection, God is recreating, remaking, and renewing the earth. And as part of that, on the seventh day of creation, God created rest. And so on the seventh Sunday of Easter, we might think together about rest. Because God commands us, it's not a suggestion or a recommendation, God commands us to rest and to make sure that all of creation, all the other people, the animals, even the dirt, get the chance to rest. And as you can imagine, I was going to connect that to my sabbatical, the gift of rest every seventh year, which this congregation has long granted to its pastors. And we'll get there. We'll get to rest. But in the two weeks that I haven't been in the pulpit, I just happened to schedule-wise not preach for two weeks in a row. In those two weeks, 10 black men and women were shopping in Buffalo when they were murdered by an 18-year-old white man with a semi-automatic rifle who shot them because they were black while chillingly apologizing to the white people that he encountered as he went. And then a group of parishioners gathered for a lunch after worship in their Taiwanese church, suddenly attacked by a visitor with a gun who had been sitting with them for 40 minutes, who saw them as his enemy, even though they shared an ethnic heritage, within minutes killing one and wounding five others. And then Tuesday, in Texas, another 18-year-old, another semi-automatic weapon, 19 kids, two teachers. You know all of this. And then I didn't know how to talk about rest today without also talking about rage and feeling helpless, about the particular kind of anger that comes from seeing this scene repeated over and over and over again for decades 
and still so little change. This is a problem with very real practical solutions. It's not an earthquake or a tsunami or a tornado. It's not a natural disaster thrown at us by wind or water or volcanoes or fault lines. We are doing this to ourselves. And we are refusing to stop it. We keep saying, this is it. We can't take anymore. But then we argue about what to do and how to do and when to do it. And the news marches on. And pretty soon, nothing changes again. I remind you of the words of the prophet Habakkuk, who thousands of years ago gave us words we still shout from our raw and aching throats today. O Lord, he said, how long shall I cry for help and you will not listen? Cry to you violence and you will not save. Why do you make me look at wrongdoing and look at trouble? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. The law becomes slack and justice never prevails. Habakkuk wrote that as a as a way of the people expressing their anger to God, but I wonder now if God is saying it back to us. How long, my people, do I cry violence and you do not save? It's really not my intention to make you feel worse than you already do. Too late. But we have to talk about this even though it's hard and it hurts and it's scary, and we worry that it will be too divisive or difficult. Because we've tried not talking about it, at least in churches, and that's clearly not working. We have tried talking about mental illness, which is a very real problem and one that needs attention and resources. And yet there is mental illness all over the world, in every country in the world, and it does not result in repeated mass shootings like what we live with in this nation. We've tried talking about systemic racism, and we must continue to do that because it is deeply connected to many of these and other acts of violence. We need to think and talk together about how young white men in particular are being radicalized by white supremacist groups on the internet. Often they stumble into them by accident. If you are the parent or grandparent of a young Young white man, we as a faith community need to support you in making sure that your loved one does not find their way into that, into that way of thinking. But it's so big. The problem is so big, and there's so many ways to address it, and we've tried so many times, and it's so overwhelming that pretty soon we can just feel like we don't know what to do. We don't know where to start. We have no idea. And between our confusion and our grief and our collective trauma over this, we can easily just numb ourselves to get through. Find excuses for why this won't happen where we live. We have different laws here. It won't happen in Kirkland or Washington, to our circle of loved ones, to the places and the buildings that we visit. We just keep going with life because what are you going to do? Until it happens again. And again, and again, and again. 
People who collect data on gun violence define a mass shooting as one in which at least four people are injured or killed. By that measure, today is the 149th day of the year 2020-22. There have been 214 mass shootings so far this year. Rage is an entirely appropriate and, and good response, faithful response to this stuff. So is rest. How do we find the way, the right way to act without becoming exhausted? To lament without falling into despair? To rest without giving up? Let me tell you right now, if you think I have the answers to these questions, the rest of this sermon will be profoundly disappointing to you. I do not. <laughs> I don't think any of us do, really. But I think we might be able to find our way toward them together. Somewhere along the line, many of us were taught or told that being angry is not a Christian thing to do. This is not true. It's just not. Now, how we manage our anger is really important. But the very fact of being angry is well documented in Scripture. Prophets are mad about injustices in the world. Jesus flips over the tables of people who were using the name of God and worship of God to line their own pockets. Over and over again in Scripture, it's anger that gets people moving. The motivation that pushes us to do things, hard things, even seemingly impossible things. When we direct it well, anger is a spiritual gift. We all know that anger pushed too far, held too long, managed in unhealthy ways, can become abusive. Even good anger, if we hold it too long, right, just nurture it, give it too much energy, it can finally drain us of the hope we had in the first place. It can quickly tip into cynicism. Pretty soon we're saying, well, how come nobody else cares like me? Nobody else works as hard as me on this. Nobody else does anything like me. Rage can become exhaustion, and then nothing changes. So we need rest. Even in the midst of trauma and pain and injustice, maybe especially then, we need rest. Our human bodies and our beautiful world, we need to stop sometimes. In creating this world, God built into it the need for rest, for renewal, for times of silence and stillness, for being and not doing But rest can become apathy, luxury, a way of escaping the world when it's too much. Rest can become detachment, and then nothing changes. Somewhere between rest and rage is the way of faith. Somewhere between rest and rage is the shared life that we have together and our Christian calling together. Somehow we... We are called to hold these two things together. Enough rage to get us moving and enough rest to keep us breathing and find the way forward. I am very, very grateful to this congregation for your long-standing commitment to giving pastors sabbaticals every seventh year. As Dave said, my sabbatical was originally scheduled for last year, but 
like a lot of things for all of us, it was derailed by COVID. We're looking forward to a time of renewal, of family life, of a slower pace, a little travel, and reading the stack of books I've bought over the last two years and am totally going to read soon. Uh, and now I'm going to add them, add to them with my great gift certificate. Time of prayer and just a time of being. And I'm excited to come back in September with renewed energy and ideas. Sometimes we feel guilty about rest. I mean, the world is hurting so badly and there's so much to do. How dare we stop? Many, in the people, many people in the world don't get rest. They don't even get paid time off, much less sabbaticals. Why do we deserve it? We should just keep going. Last Sunday, we celebrated the 20-plus years that our choir director, Eric Peterson, had been in that role here at Holy Spirit, and we marked his last Sunday as choir director. Not a goodbye forever to Eric, but he's moving on to a new chapter in his life. And if you were here, you might remember that. The choir gave him some gifts, including a beautiful quilt, <clears throat> as well as two T-shirts, one at 9.30 and a different one at 11, both with sayings that Eric frequently uses during choir practice. At the 11 o'clock service, the T-shirt said, <clears throat> work it out with your neighbor, which made me think, are they having like fist fights in choir or something? What does that mean? <clears throat> but then the choir member who presented it, Jill, talked a little bit about what it does mean, which is it's a way to make sure everybody gets to breathe during the song without there being giant gaps in the music. So that is, if you're singing a note and your neighbor is singing the same note, <coughs> then you shouldn't both breathe at the same time because those of us listening will hear a stop. So you turn to your neighbor and you say, all right, you sing to this point and then you breathe. I'll keep singing. Then after you're done breathing, I'll breathe, right? And then what we hear is one uninterrupted note. The music has kept going but everybody had time to rest. It occurred to me several times this week that work it out with your neighbor is not a bad mandate for this moment and is one of the gifts of life and community. All of us need time to breathe. All of us need time to rest. And all of us, our nation, our world, our neighborhoods, all of us need each other's anger and action our shared determination, our refusal to say that we have to live like this. We do not have to live like this. We can change this. It will be hard work. It will be the work of a marathon, not a sprint, the work of a symphony and not a single song. It is the work of a lifetime and not a day. So we will need to rest. Work it out with your neighbor. Sometimes it will be your turn to rage. Sometimes it will be your turn to breathe. Sometimes we will mess it up and there will be gaps in the music. But do not quit. The stakes are high. The song that you and I are here to sing together does not belong to us and it is not meant for us alone. It is for the sake of the world it is the song of a God who creates by word and not violence. 
who creates rest and not unending labor, who calls us to put down our weapons and come together at a table of bread and wine, a God who creates action and not apathy. May God take all of it, everything we have, our rest and our rage, our breathing and our action, and lead it out of the tomb, finally, into true Easter life. May it be so. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen.